Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So if you want the secret to happiness, I've got that for you in a couple of minutes. Oh, you don't want the secret to happiness? Okay, well then switch over to music radio. Or go do something else, I guess. If you don't want to know <laughs> the secret to freaking happiness. I think you yelling at us isn't making me happy. Also, upcoming, a continuing discussion, the continuing discussion of the chemistry of urinating in a pool. Uh, I'm uh, I'm not very enthusiastic about it, but we need to right a wrong that's been done. Perhaps you've heard about this. I'll at least give you the broad outlines. Cal Unicornia continues to set records in stupidity. The Department of Education is working on a new framework for K-12 through mathematics that will discourage or eliminate gifted students from enrolling in accelerated classes that study advanced concepts like calculus. The kids who are natural talents at math will be held back. Good idea. That helps. Who does that help? To defeat inequity, Jack. It's inequity, don't you know? The- <laughs> Shaving off the best... To get your, you know, more people closer to the average is a weird way to go about things. Well, and some of the cautionary tales on that topic, including, you know, uh, Harrison Bergeron by old what's his face, the slaughterhouse fire. Kurt, Kurt Vonnegut Jr. Kurt Vonnegut, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's one example. There are all sorts of great pieces of literature about how you should never, ever do that. It's a terrible thing. California is going to do it. Uh, long story short. Uh, the department is worried that too many students are sorted into different math tracks based on their natural abilities, which leads some to take calculus by their senior year of high school, while others don't make it past basic algebra. The department's solution is to prohibit any sorting until high school, keeping gifted kids in the same classrooms, bored to tears as their less mathematically inclined peers, at least until ninth grade. And you will see that... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, that that sort of technique applied soon to every topic. Well, I mean, there's there's both ends of it to me don't make any sense. So you, if you've got the uh, the kids that are better at math and that's what they're really into, you know, obviously they're not getting anything out of the class. And then for other things that I can remember that I wasn't particularly good at, get the superstars out of the class so the rest of us normal people can go at like a, a reasonable pace and every everybody like really good focus on that. Everybody wins. Yeah, it seems like a win-win all around. Yeah, get the superstars that are, like, blowing the curve and everything's crazy and you're talking to them about stuff I don't even know what you're talking about. Get them out of here, and the rest of us will will learn at our pace. This is why people are fleeing Cal Unicornia, which I'm tempted to start calling Marxifornia because Cal Unicornia is getting a little too gentle as a nickname. Uh, the January 2021 draft of the framework says the inequity of mathematics tracking in California can be undone through a coordinated approach in grades 6 through 12. In summary, middle school students are best served in heterogeneous classes. Now, it take the, the report itself is hundreds of pages long. Hundreds of pages, and it took really smart people plowing through it, really smart, really patient people, to bottom line it. But this is one of the things they're doing. Public schools in California are increasingly a cesspool of Marxist strange thinking. Well, the reason we talk about this is um, this California regularly sets the uh, trend for the rest of the country. And I, I told the story, I'll, I'll give you the short version of this mom who's from Vietnam. A friend of my son's, uh, she's telling me her whole story uh, a couple of months ago and about how she was, she's a super math genius. She's a PhD. She's a super math genius, but how she, and science and all that sort of stuff. And she was pulled out of 
uh, her classes and put in a special school where it's like the best of the best. And then she like was the star of that and then went to some school in China where she said the the competition was just like she was lost. Her her friend that she went with. Now, these are the best of the best of the best from her country went Mm -hmm. to this place in China where it was just they were all they were all walking around like numb and her friend washed out and was like suicidal and uh, because it's so competitive um, i don't want kids to be suicidal that's not my point it's just china and other countries we're competing against they're go they're doing the exact opposite they're scouring the land for the best of the best about everything and putting them together to try to get you know even even more out of them right and we are right. going to shave off that top 10% of everything to make sure nobody does too well that's right. not a good way to compete. Joe Biden just the other night in his big speech was talking about how why we're going to beat China because our system, capitalism, and how we use our human potential. We're not using our human capital well if we shave off the top portion of everything to make sure nobody feels bad. Yeah, hey, Uncle Joe, you're trying to end that system, that system that brought us the greatest country on Earth. One more quick note, then we'll get to the secret of happiness. Uh, I almost forgot the secret of happiness. Remembering the secret of happiness is step one. Certainly, it's important. Uh, One final note from Reason.com. Broadly speaking, uh, the plan entails making math as easy and unmath-like as possible. Math is really about language and culture and social justice, and no one is naturally better at it than anyone else according to the framework that's hilarious mark sifornia got the best because my son struggles with math he doesn't have the math brain which you know some people do some people don't i've known some freaking knock it out of the park smart people successful people in my life that that math is just something they can't do sure um it's got nothing to do it's just it's a particular kind of person the the best thing you could do I, I math was something I was good at, but like I can think of other things that I wasn't. Um, to me, the best thing you could do for those kids is separate them into groups where they're with people with their own speed. God, I would have loved that, either both in math and in the other stuff. Well, absolutely. You're not going to be a math genius. You're not going to be a ceramic engineer, but uh, we'll bring you up to speed with basic math so you can function as a person, as a citizen. But let's find out what you are sharp at, and let's make sure we we uh, we train you, we help you be as good as you can be at what you are good at. This 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 is insidious. Yeah, it's 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 terrible for the kids at the top and the bottom, as far as I can tell. Um, oh yeah, it's horrifying. I, good lord. I, I hate to do this, but I feel like we ought to take a break, and when we come back, I got the secret to happiness. I will tell you this. The secret to happiness is endless teases on a radio show. The <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing new here, but... No, how that, could there be? It's got its own weight in that it's you've heard this a thousand times. It's just good to be reminded of it. And, you know, a thousand years ago, they knew this was the right way to approach life if you want to be happy. They so knew about the their... Internet a thousand years ago? <laughs> They knew about NFTs. <laughs> the Vikings knew about NFTs. They foresaw them. Um, but we will get to uh, We'll do that first, right? Can we promise that? Yes. Yes. I will not be the one who stands in the way. <laughs> uh, I've got the cure for cancer right here, and I'll have it for you when we come back. <laughs> Our text line is 415-295-KFTZ. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I belong 
If it makes you happy, I get it, Michael. Well played. We're going to talk about happiness, and then we'll get to the headline from the New York Post. Man allegedly swings colostomy bag <laughs> at cops at Kid Rock's bar in Nashville. Lot in allegedly. That. Let's not rush into judgment. Lot in that headline. <laughs> cops, <laughs> bar, Kid Rock, wow. colostomy bag. Wow. That got anything to do with the key to happiness. I'm just going to read chunks that Sean nicely highlighted from this article in Slate by someone named Juka Sullivanin or something. Um, with two Avalinins. Um, because uh, this is really well written, and it is about the secret of happiness. And you know, wait for it; it gets to it here uh, after a bunch of different stuff. I don't know how you pronounce H Y G G E. Are you familiar with that word? It's a Nordic I am not, term. Sir. I am I'll, not. I'll call it high G. Is high G still a thing? The Danish concept of comfortable conviviality and all things cozy is supposed to capture the essence of Danish culture, and has been marketed as the secret for happy living. Uh, the Danes regularly named the happiest people in the world when they do those studies. And I got, have the pronunciation of that word if you would like. Okay. Huga. Huga? Huga. Huga, okay. Huga. A few years back, there was a surge of Huga-related books, articles, and household products. Journalists from around the world were touring Denmark to document various aspects of this unique lifestyle. The enthusiasm around Denmark was stimulated by the nation's reputation of being the happiest country in the world. Woohoo! Been hearing that for years. We've been doing that list. Marshall used to do that list every uh, two weeks. Who's of the happiest <laughs> countries in the world? Um, if there has been a downturn in the Huga industry in recent years, it may be because of Finland, which was Marshall's home country, hmm. uh, which has now surpassed Denmark in the World Happiness Report four years running. The happiest country in the world is Finland, more or less. Spending next door. time in the sauna. The Finnish spiritual equivalent of huigi is something far less convivial and more and much more difficult to pronounce. It's kalser kamarnak. I wouldn't even try. I knew a guy from Finland. The letters don't mean what you think they mean. <laughs> <laughs> Which translates as pants drunk. Yes. Yes. And refers I've been there. And refers to the practice of binge drinking home alone in your underpants. <laughs> I call it Thursday. <laughs> We don't have as complicated a name for it. It's called a Thursday. If you're binge drinking at home alone in sweats, you are just pretentious. I almost want to figure. Drunk. I almost want to figure out how to say this word so I can throw it around for the rest of my life. It's the Finnish word for pants drunk. You know, when you sit around binge drinking in your underpants. Anyway, it's nice that they have a word for that. Where is this going? I know you would think so, but it is going somewhere. Nobody okay. is more skeptical than the Finns. About the nation, the notion that we are the world's happiest people. This is written by a Finn. This is where it gets interesting. When a cabinet member of the Finnish government was introduced at an international conference recently, the representative of the happiest country in the world, he responded, "If that's true, I'd hate to see the other countries." <laughs> Love it. The World Happiness Report, the annual study responsible for these rankings, does not pay any attention to smiles, laughter, or other outward expressions of joy. Instead, the report relies on Gallup polls, which ask respondents to imagine a ladder. Do this yourself right now. Imagine a ladder with steps numbered from 0 to 10. The top rung 
10 represents the best possible life. If you stand on the top rung, you're going to fall and break your neck, and you will no longer be happy. But let's put that aside. <laughs> There's a warning right at the top of the ladder. Yeah. Tells right. right. Uh, the top rung 10 represents the best possible life for you, while the bottom rung 0 represents the worst. The survey participants are then instructed to report the number that corresponds with the rung in which they are currently standing. In other words, you're deemed happy if your actual life circumstances approximate your highest expectations. Interesting. Compared with most other countries, objective living circumstances in Finland are very good. But there's more to the story. We should not ignore expectations. Right. Consistent with their Lutheran heritage, the Nordic countries are united in their embrace of curbed aspirations for the best possible life. This mentality is famously captured in the Law of Jante, a set of commandments believed to capture something essential about the Nordic disposition to personal success. You're not to think you're anything special. You're not to imagine yourself better than we are. You're not to think you are good at anything, which in America we would see as uh, a terrible thing, a terrible attitude. Child abuse. Yeah, well, it is. Yeah, it's uh, it's and, practically uh, a mental illness. It's shaming. It's uh, it's you know it's something horrifying. The Nordic countries embrace a cultural orientation that sets realistic limits to one's expectations for a good life. In these societies, the imaginary ten-step ladder is not as high. The first rung is pretty high up. And the distance between the steps is relatively short. So, yes, I do think culture matters a great deal to understanding why countries like Finland, Denmark, Iceland, Norway, and Sweden score so high in this particular indicator of happiness. But the relevant cultural characteristic is neither huigi nor, unfortunately, uh, that, that word for pants drunk. If I had to pick a Scandinavian word to capture the correct cultural ingredient in Nordic happiness, it would probably be the Swedish and Norwegian term lagom or lagom which can be translated as just the right amount. Lagom is frequently thought to capture the essence of Swedish culture, its embracement of modesty and rejection of excess. In terms of expectations for a good life, Lagom encourages orient, uh, contentment with the life's bare necessities. If you have those, you have nothing to complain about. Ergo, you are happy. Wow, culture. That is really interesting. You know, I come from I come from the Midwest and uh, South Dakota originally, which is populated by all those people you were just mentioning. My mom is adopted, we don't, but almost certainly Scandinavian of some sort, and that is the 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 creed of like South Dakota, North Dakota, Minnesota, all those places that that are full of really happy, pleasant people, as uh, is regularly mocked. Yeah, it, you can't swing a loot fisk without hitting a Lutheran. It's just very low expectations for for life, and that you, you know you could. Again, in our modern world, as it comes out of New York City, that's a terrible thing to say. No, you got to shoot for the best to be a star. All these different kinds of things. But if your expectations are just, you know, I'm going to have a house, I'm going to feed myself, and the family's going to hang out, we're going to do little league and barbecues. That's what we're going to do. That's all that's going to be. You're pretty happy if that right. if that's your top rung. You're going to be on it or very close to it. One of my favorite examples that they had in that that story was the. They kind of use the Americanized version of parents tell their kids, when you grow up, you can be president. But the the real thing or the, the, the key to the the process they're describing, when you grow up, you could be president of the Homeowners Association, I, right? <laughs> Setting more realistic, simple life, the beauty of the simple life goals. I, that may, that all makes so much sense to me, and it explains everybody that I used to live around in, in those states I just mentioned. Why they, yeah. had the, why they had the perfectly happy attitude they have. Yeah, yeah. This is a thick subject. It's it complicated. The word content needs to be thrown around way more than the word happy. Yeah, I would agree. 
I would agree. Uh, I, I absolutely get what uh, the author is saying. I see the wisdom in it. I believe it. At the same time, I think mankind needs the unsatisfied, the the never satisfied, the striving, the, the fixated, the uh, the enthusiastic. You know, I just I, I think it takes all kinds. Is it because you step outside, you're gonna freeze do, to death in those countries? Is that what's at work here? <laughs> I think you can do both. I I think you can have you know as long as I got uh, you know got an okay house, okay car, and kids. Everybody's healthy. I'm happy. I think you can have that and try to invent an airplane. I don't think they. I don't think they are separated. Well, yeah. I, I don't think the Elon Musk's of the world are necessarily going to not exist if we stop telling every child they could become president. I would right? agree with that. I, also, I think those people, those high octane brains, will kind of rise above, anyways. And and uh, yeah, that that's my. Yeah, it could be. Summary you know, it's funny. As a kid, I had the classic uh, feeling about, you know, you could grow up to be president and blah, blah, blah. Uh, now that I know much more about the presidency, it sounds like a threat. <laughs> it sounds like what you say to them to get them to eat their vegetables. I certainly would think if everybody wants to be uh, a YouTube star or whatever it is you want to be, and that's, you know, all the, your goals in life, as opposed to just regular run-of-the-mill house on the end of the block you know, with friends, with and friends, family and, and, and just yeah, right. that's just what we do. Well, I can understand why one company country would be happy and one would not be not. I don't know. Uh, I think the first thing is a recipe for misery. Your thoughts? Text line four one five two nine five KFTC. I thought that was really interesting, and especially learning the Finnish word for pants drunk. Mm, indeed, you can email us mailbag at armstrongandgetty dot com. Drinking alone in your underpants. Hmm. Text line four one five two nine five KFTC. And Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. My uh, fifth grader has this big science project due on Friday. This is like a big one. They've had it for I mean, months. Static electricity. Is that what it is? <laughs> Rub a balloon on your head, son. That's science. Put four different kind of foods in a container and watch the mold grow on them. He got to come up with his own idea. Is that his plan? Yeah, that's what he's done. And it's been going on for months. His observations have been a little lax. I'm thinking without my regular prodding, there'd have been no observations. But uh, (laughs) it's amazing the amount of stress this is causing me. (laughs) Him having a science project do. I thought I was done with deadlines for fifth grade science projects, but apparently I'm not. <laughs> I thought I was done with the running around, figuring out if I've got the materials and everything ready to do for, for my big science projects, but apparently I'm not. No, sir. Uh, so <laughs> which uh, which foods did he choose? And this is all my idea. And this is the, the classic, the parents doing the work. Oh. Um, I, I, I just, you know, I kind of gave him some hints, but I, I thought I we came up with some good choices. We got uh, a piece of banana, mm-hmm. a piece of bread, a piece of meat. And what was the fourth one? The first one was something le- really unlikely to get moldy. I know you won't a allow vegetables. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> uh, I, I got a piece of uh, like asparagus or something like that would be less likely to get moldy. I think those four things. And so then the observation occurs, and then you. Uh, I don't know what you're supposed to do then. I haven't read the instructions. I don't have to read the instructions. I'm not in fifth grade anymore. <laughs> I, I feel like this uh, anger is misplaced, but, uh, you know. 
I just got to keep reminding myself. It's not my project. I'm not going to get a grade on it. No, you're not. No. No, the, the best thing you can do is uh, yeah, well, let him succeed or fail. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah, he Make sure you throw away the food at the end of it. Ugh, so gross. He needs some prompting or it just would not happen at all, which mm. I don't think would be anything. But no, I'm not I'm definitely not doing it for him or anything. He's going to have to do it and he'll live in live a uh, flyer or or sink on his flyer sink on his own on that one. Hmm. What kind of weird floating sort of boat or plane <laughs> are we on here? There's a pelican, apparently. James Bond. Uh, anyway, more on that later. Um, uh, so Liz Cheney's back in the crosshairs. Do you remember after the storming of the Capitol, um, some Republicans uh, continued to back Trump pretty strong. Some Republicans, including in the leadership Liz Cheney, she's the number three in the Republican Party, um, part of the leadership, they call it. Uh, she said that was the worst thing any president's ever done. She voted to impeach. A lot of the Republicans said, well, she's got to go. If she's not on board with our man, she's got to go. They held a big vote, and she pretty solidly hung on. Well, they're going to have a vote again, it looks like, and Kevin McCarthy seems to be kind of pushing it that direction. Back in uh, shortly after the January 6th insurrection, Kevin McCarthy said, hey, the Republican Party's a big tent. Everyone's invited in. I'm reading for the di- from the dispatch now. Turns out the tent is smaller than he suggested. Three months after the vote, members are gearing up to push her out of her role, this time at the urging of top leaders. McCarthy has grown increasingly frustrated with Cheney in recent weeks. On Fox News yesterday, he insisted the source of this frustration isn't the Wyoming Republicans' impeachment vote, but her actions and statements in the months since. That decision has been made, McCarthy said. I have heard from the members concerned about her ability to carry out her job as conference chair and to carry the message. We all need to be working as one if we're going to win the majority. So there might be another vote, and it sounds kind of like maybe he's kind of trying to rally people toward pushing her out. And then it will be full-on a Trumpy Republican Party, uh, whether you like that or not. Some of you do, some of you don't. Yeah, the Republicans have some serious problems, as do the Democrats, actually, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But the the whole how Trumpy you want to be as a party is an interesting question, especially when I don't think he'll ever run for office again. Jonathan Swan says different. We could uh, we could get to that uh, coming up later, but he's reporting today that uh, this Facebook ruling that came out, Facebook announced today Trump is not going to be allowed back on the platform, was actually a big blow to the Trump people because that had a lot to do with the fundraising. They were really hoping to get back on Facebook for fundraising efforts for a 24 run. And Jonathan Swan of Axios, who's a pretty good reporter, says people close to the president think he's going to run. Wow. Wow, I'm surprised by that. I'd, and I would be surprised if he does. But having said that, I mean, you've got a pretty clear divide. Liz Cheney Republicans want to de-Trumpify the party and get back to more traditional Republican you know, activities. Kevin McCarthy and company say, no, there's too many of our voters who love Trump. You can't, you can't go anti-Trump or we're going to lose them. And... Uh, so, you know, it's a battle for supremacy. I have a very strong feeling in not too many years we will forget about all of this and move on to something different, uh, as is, you know, the history of these things. Well, and in a few years, the whole Biden-Trump thing, they'll both be dead. They're very, very old. Yeah, yeah, there's that. So, uh, well, just one, one more thing on that. I, sure. Don't you think, I think Liz Cheney is just, I think she just, that's her, she's not making any, um, I don't think she's making any complicated like weighing of this or that. I think she just feels that. She just thinks, no, that's the worst thing any president's ever done. I can't support that. The election wasn't stolen. I'm not going to say any different. If you don't want me in the Republican Party, go ahead and boot me out. I think that's where she is on this. 
Yeah, and there were a handful of things Trump did policy-wise that were pretty not traditional Republican, and she'd rather see the, the party be the party of her dad, old man Dick Cheney. Mm-hmm. Uh, and th- and that's all right. I think she's sincere about it, um, whether she's right or I, not I for the future of the party. I, I appreciate know. that. There aren't very many politicians that do that. There aren't many politicians that are willing to say, oh, if you know, if you don't, you're going to boot me out, but this is what I believe. Democrats or Republicans, I haven't mm-hmm. seen many in my life. They usually figure out which direction is the wind blowing and then try to jump on that train. Right, and, and other half uh, half opinions. What am what, what I trying to say? Just just not not say anything that's going to cause any headwinds, any problems, right. no matter how important they may be. Yeah, they usually go with weasel words to try to appeal to both sides of it every yeah. issue. Yeah, that's that's what I was looking for. Well said. Uh, and so uh, I've been reading a couple of columns by Ross Douthat in the uh, New York Times. He's one of their token conservative-type people, and he's uh, quite a good writer, and he's a very brainy fellow. He wrote uh, two things in particular I thought were interesting. One was entitled, Did Trump Make Everything Progressive? And the point of it is that while Trump fired up a lot of the traditional Republican base and uh, blue-collar former Democrats and the rest of it just really positive in a lot of ways for the Republican Party, he made the left go crazy. And in doing so, because... Just the liberals, progressives tend to be more angry and active about politics than conservatives. With the notable exception of the Tea Party movement, which lasted for a little while and was big fun while it lasted. Um, Trump so whipped up the left, Coca-Cola is afraid of him. Uh, you know, all, all the big uh, Delta Airlines is afraid of him. And uh, what did he put it? Um, well, it's you got your your big corporations, your your schools, the rest of it are just running scared from the left, and it may have uh, the whole Trump thing may have fired them up. But then he points out, and I thought this was a really interesting point. Uh, he da, 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 he said, thus the zeal of the new anti-racism is a response to the long-standing failure of liberal policymaking to actually close racial gaps. He's talking about the serious problem the left has now. The moralism, hashtag me too feminism, the desire to rethink or redefine the contours of consent, consent reflects a sense that in championing sexual individualism, liberalism has ended up enabling predation. And the spiritualizing side of wokeness, from the martyrology of police shooting, police shooting victims to the confessions of privilege and the zealous witch hunts, seem like an attempt to restore a sense of the sacred that a secularized liberalism sorely lacks. So it's, it's whipped itself up into a, a religion. Absolutely clear. A, a lefty religion, and one of the most important aspects of it is you can't ask us to be held accountable for our policies. That's when you oh, don't throw statistics at me and facts and logic. This is my truth. Now, liberals like Sam Harris have been saying that and a lot of other uh, smart thinkers. This whole wokeism thing is got all the trappings of a religion, all of it, because you've got heresy and uh, you just all the things that go with with religion. Why that's probably going to fail was the topic of another column he wrote that I want to get to next segment. Oh, if cool. you can. Um they will either fail and be shoved into the ash bin of history, or they will actually enact the totalitarian regime they dream of, and they will execute you if you uh, tell the truth. I do want to talk about that. What do you think the key is to a good grade on a fifth grade science project? I didn't want to say this out loud to my son, because it's not the way I want him to approach all his school projects the rest of his life. But, but, but I in, in, intuited, is that a word? 
Mm-hmm. It is. It's a fine word. I intuited. I almost never use it. At a young age, what they want out of things in school. And I was pretty mm-hmm. good at giving them what they want and no more. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, why waste energy? Realizing huh? that they don't care what I write in this paper. They just want it to be spelled okay and the punctuation okay. They don't care. The content makes no freaking difference whatsoever. Because I could tell it was very clear that that was generally the case. Disappointing. It is disappointing. It was disappointing to me. That guy with the good straight A's, he writes nonsense. He couldn't come up with an idea if he was on fire. He's a moron, but man, his <laughs> margins are perfect and his punctuation is perfect. And that always drove me crazy in school. It's one of the things I liked about college. They finally cared some about ideas uh, as opposed to just, you know, getting your margins right. But, right. Um, uh, but I know for the fifth grade science project, that's more or less it is. You got to have the right format. You got to, you know, show that you did all the things you're supposed to do. The, the conclusion is not important. No, no, no. The big finish. What he's got to do when he's done talking about the moldy foods, and he says, and now, as the final step, I will eat each one of these foods and show you. And then, you know, we go on. From, but yeah, a big finish. That would flourish, be good. Release a meme. Doves. You got to have a meme. In front, in front of all the kids. So. Uh, what yeah. order? Let's see. A show of hands. What should I eat first? The bread? The hot dog? The <laughs> Which one do you think's going to make me puke? <laughs> a++. Which one looks the grossest would be a pretty funny category. Uh, but anyway, the problems with uh, the religion that is wokeism. I got another great example of wokeism that's just amazing. I uh, hope you can stay tuned for it. Armstrong and Getty. Wokeness, this ideology, is not about subverting power centers. They never talk about power centers. The CIA, big tech, monopolies, hedge fund managers. It's about turning citizens against one another. That person is evil. That individual is bad. It empowers these ruling class centers. That's why they not just embrace it and cynically exploit it. They actually finance it and want to spread it because it strengthens and entrenches their power. You know what? That's Glenn Greenwald, and he's a he's a liberal. He's definitely the left of me on a whole bunch of different topics. But it, it's interesting to me the passion I hear out of people like him and Bill Maher and Matt Taibbi and uh, and a guy I mentioned a little while ago. I don't remember his name, um, but these these are all liberals. But they 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 seem so passionate about it. hey this wokeism thing is crazy. Is everybody realize? Is everybody watching this? This is not so. Is anybody catching this? Liberalism for. You know, the last hundred years is about resisting the centers of power being, you know, heavy-handed. Yeah, I actually heard and, a good argument on why these people are actually conservatives now. Conservatism oh, yeah. is conserving what is. So your Bill Mars, your Matt Tybee's, Glenn Greenwald, they're all conservatives because they're trying to conserve their version of liberalism against what you're just talking about. Sure, and they see the wokists trying to amass more and more power, and not only power, but power that they can wield uh, brutally. And without being questioned. And I think it, it disturbs them, and it should, and it's smart. So I was talking about this uh, uh, Ross Douthat article in the, uh, well, it's an opinion piece in the New York Times. And uh, it starts with the James Carville clip. Oh, that's right. Glenn Greenwald was uh, reacting in that clip we just played to that very strange CIA recruitment ad. 
where the intersectional chick is talking about all the different things she is, but she's proud CIA. We should and that's what that. has Glenn Greenwald all fired up. Yeah, maybe we'll get into that topic next hour. It's pretty interesting if you haven't heard it. Or hour, yeah. hour three of the podcast, if you're a podcaster. Yes, sir. So we will get into that because it's, uh, well, we'll get into it then. So anyway, uh, he, uh, Ross Duthat starts with the James Carville clips that we played the other day referencing the woke, wokeism is a problem. It's a faculty lounge rhetoric. Uh, and then they're losing people. The Democrats are losing people because it's, 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 it's the Harvard freaking faculty lounge rhetoric being thrown around. It's not working class people talking about working class problems. <laughs> yeah, that was what a Carville said. I don't know anybody who actually uses the word Latinx. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, and he talks about that a, a little bit. Uh, how do you win support for anti-poverty policies if you talk about racial redress or pan- pan-racial redistribution? Are voters actually worried about cancel culture or are figures like Carville mistaking the Fox News bubble for reality? Uh, and, and he agrees with Carville. But at the same time, he says the Democrats have figured out how to do it. You don't nominate Elizabeth Warren. You nominate Joe Biden. Then he shovels money out the door. Don't nominate a, a candidate who talks like a member of the Harvard, Harvard faculty. Nominate the candidate who can talk like an old line Democrat and then just go progressive once he's in. So that's not going to end the progressive onslaught, their, their pretenses and their lecturing and the rest of it. Um, but looking at the time, yeah, let me skip ahead. But what he says, if the new progressivism becomes truly politically disastrous for Democrats, it will probably involve not just off-putting or elitist rhetoric, but a dramatic policy failure linked to social justice politics. He says the two places where that seems most likely to happen are crime and education. An education we were just talking about, and some of these policies are sickening. They're trying to eliminate the very idea of advanced classes or gifted students or anybody working ahead. Everybody will work at the same pace. There's no such thing as natural talent, but back to that in a minute. He says crime is the more urgent case. 2020 saw a major spike in the homicide rate back to late 90s levels, uh, which so far is carrying over into this year. Biden's speech to Congress last Wednesday made a vague connection between ongoing bloodshed and AR-15s, but that's not that what's doing the damage in the current murder wave. Instead, police demoralization and withdrawal in the aftermath of protests and riots seemed like the crucial factor, along with a couple other things he mentioned. So uh, if the crime and the fear of crime continues to rise, uh, that's going to completely eclipse any discomfort with people saying Latinx. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Yeah. And uh, another thing that will would change a lot would be uh, in, inflation. Inflation gets crazy. Everybody's going to be scared to death. Yes, true. Uh, he says that kind of failure could take uh, what is for now the modest trend of some conservative-leaning Asian, Hispanic, and African-American voters drifting rightward and make it into an existential problem like the white ethnic abandonment of the Democrats under Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan. Uh, and then he gets into to schooling as well. The We don't have a lot of time, but the progressive ideas on, on schooling, I think, will be utterly disastrous. The indoctrination of your children into critical race theory instead of learning math and science and and English and how to read and write. Uh, You will see people falling farther and farther behind. Uh, Just to quote the article, in the worst case, though, the reopening goes badly. He's talking about the schools finally freaking reopening. There's plenty of resistance or uh, resentment, rather, that they haven't yet. 
But the, in the worst case, the reopening goes badly, even as activists alienate Democratic voting, but not particularly woke parents, by making gifted and talented schools and programs disappear in the name of anti-racist equity. In which case, you could get both an institutional crisis with more engaged parents abandoning public schools and a political backlash with more recent immigrant parents in liberal cities and suburbs following their Italian-American antecedents rightward. You know, you combine this with we were talking about earlier how uh, the Proud Boys are getting so much money pouring in from uh, Asian Americans. Mm-hmm. Anybody who claims they know what things are going to look like in a couple of years is just a liar. I mean, there are so many things in motion right now. I have no idea where they're going to finally settle. And nothing finally settles, but like come to some sort of, okay, this is what we are at least for a while. Right, some sense of stability. Uh huh. Because there's so much energy and so wildly diverse ideas getting kicked around right now. The Republican Party easily in a couple of years could be uh, working whites, which used to be Democrats, um, black males particularly, which used to be Democrats, and uh, a lot of Asian Americans that used to be Democrats. That could and a hell be, of a lot of Hispanic families, too. That could be a lot of the Republican Party. And then the flip side, a lot of suburbanites that used to be Republicans on the Democrat side because they're you know, more of the college-educated, uh, worried-about-your-pronouns crowd. Right, right. I could absolutely see it. Uh, you know, and if you're new to the show, we'll tell you exactly what the Proud Boys are and aren't. Exactly what Antifa is and isn't. Uh, we're not the mainstream media that, that that paints with this ridiculous, like a cartoonishly broad brush. No subtlety, no nuance, and they're wildly biased. Um, and the outcomes, I think, are going to be very different than the mainstream media imagines. I mentioned the podcast, if you didn't hear the first hour, for instance, or if you want to hear the next couple of hours, go to armstrongandgetty.com. That's how you find the podcast, and make sure you listen. we got to do two more hours? Yeah, and then we do something called, uh, what do we call that? One more thing. One more thing. We do that every day. Another segment that you don't hear on the on the real radio. All at armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty.